Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. I'm the executive. I'm your host for the night, Tracy Siska. I'm also the executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out more about our transparency and accountability work at chicagojustice.org. While you're there, head up our report released, oh, about two weeks ago now on the Public Safety Committee. Uh, 20 years of their agenda items. It'll be, um, it'll help you understand what's going on with some of our um, agenda items for this show today. So what are we covering? The Anginette Young dismissal, the city trying to dismiss that case in court is our main segment. Then we go on to CPD retirements, the community commission stall that happened on Friday. Then we got um, the Inglewood where, where the mass shooting happened in Inglewood. It actually, the, the house is, uh, well, we'll leave it. We'll talk about who owns that house. You're going to be just a little surprised about that. Then after the break, we talk about um, a great article in the New York Times about how people fail to understand crime trends and crime data. It's a fascinating article. Then we talk about cops and CPS, how that is still ongoing battle. We talk, then close with um, one, one story about New New York and one about New Jersey. The New York one is about how Mayor de Blasio, like most Democrats around the country, talk about all this police accountability and transformation when they're running for office and then they capitulate and become major obstacles. Hmm, I wonder where we've seen that before or where we're experiencing it now. Is it Chicago? Hmm, maybe. Anyway, so we're going to talk about that. Once the end is we're going to talk about it's a New Jersey story more or less, but we're going to talk more about it's more about how cops avoid jail. And there's a great example with the union in there. And it's very similar to what's going on in Chicago. Okay. For everyone, the report that we're talking about, the Public Safety Committee, the studying of 20 years of agenda items, that research was done. The report was written. The data visualizations are created by members of CJ, CJP's Nation program. It's volunteers and it's where our volunteers and Interns come together. We have volunteers from all over the country. We have interns from all over the country. We have some in Canada, one or two in India, actually. It's where they come together and they work on crowdsourced research projects, social media ambassadorship, uh, activism, public policy activism. So all of that can be um, can have you involved in it. If you are interested in volunteering, even just a couple hours a week or getting involved or internships, go to cjpnation.org. And you can get involved too, and then you'll find out information about the projects we have active. You can donate there if you so wish, and you can also contact Sydney, who runs our nation. Um, I think there's direct uh, contact information for the people running the individual research groups, um, fundraising groups if you're interested, activism group too if you're interested now. We just added recently. So that all can be found at cjpnation.org. That's our activism website. Okay, we're going to go on to our first... Um, story and it's about the Anjanette Young case. For those real quickly who don't know, Anjanette Young is a woman who was alone in her apartment changing in the midst of changing actually when her house was raided through by a, uh, the Chicago Police Department through a search warrant. They didn't do the basic groundwork needed to know that they were raiding the wrong apartment. <laughs> Why would they do that? And she was naked when they raided her. There's body cam footage. So now there's a new report out from CBS2 which we're going to watch. It's about a three minutes and it's about how the city is now moving to basically dismiss the lawsuit by Anjanette Young so we're going to watch this clip I'm going to come back and talk about it and give you some um, 
some context that's missing from the report. The original, this original story broke by Dave Savini from Channel 2 also, breaking the story with uh, body, getting body cam footage uh, related to that um, incident. So let's watch it and we'll be back in three minutes to talk about it. Goes on, and her home was wrongly raided by Chicago police. But more than two years later, Ann Jeanette Young's case is no closer to being resolved. And said today, the city asked the judge to dismiss her case altogether. CBS investigator Megan Hickey live in our Streetside studio. Megan, this move comes despite months of public promises from Mayor Lori Lightfoot to make things whole. Right, Brad, as you know, the CBS2 investigators first exposed that horrific body camera video of the raid of the raid that sparked national attention. Mayor Lori Lightfoot at the time vowed to make it right, but six months later and her law department is trying to get this case thrown out. The video, the video speaks extraordinarily loudly. Back in December, Mayor Lori Lightfoot responded publicly to the outcry over the wrong raid of Anjanette Young's home. We first reported on it in 2019, but it wasn't until the body camera video was released that the public really understood the injustice that Young suffered. Where there are wrongs, they must be righted, and we will do so with del all deliberate speed. Deliberate speed has not translated into anything for Anjanette Young. This week we reported that settlement discussions had broken down completely, with Young accusing the city of dragging its feet. A spokesperson for the city said they had no choice but to litigate and today filed this motion. The city argues that the case should be dismissed because the lawsuit failed to challenge the underlying validity of the search warrant. The city's lawyers say CPD executed a validly issued search warrant that was authorizing officers to enter her apartment. Hardly the same message the mayor told us again back in December. Clearly a specific set of mistakes were made. The city called the fact that Young was unclothed regrettable. Chicago police but the valid search warrant argument conflicts with inconsistencies that the CBS2 investigators uncovered with the warrant. Officers failed to follow their own directives. The officer who obtained the warrant failed to do an independent investigation. If he did, he would have found that the suspect actually lived next door and was on electronic monitoring at the time of the raid. Those were facts that CPD could have easily determined, but didn't even check. I don't know how this person pointed out your apartment. Also important to keep in mind, in April, the Civilian Office of Police Accountability said its nearly 18-month investigation of the raid produced nearly 100 allegations of misconduct against more than a dozen officers who took part. Now, the city argued in the motion that the officers conducting the raid had reasonable belief they would find an armed felon, which is why they say they handcuffed her while they were looking through her home. Brad? Megan, how are Miss Young and her attorney responding to this motion to dismiss the case altogether? Right, so they were made aware of the city's plans in an email a few days ago, so they were expecting this to happen, but they said in a statement, it's a sad day for Miss Young and the city of Chicago. The city declined to comment further on this case. We'll have both of their statements on our website. Just head to this story. All right, CBS2 investigator Megan Hickey. Megan, our thanks. Okay. So what in the name of God is going on? Okay, so there's a few things. One, this is leverage by the Lightfoot administration in the city to push Young to settle. That I'm convinced of. Also, here's a little more context to what's going on here that doesn't really make the news a lot. 
um, when you're talking about this story, unfortunately. And that is this case, the original lawsuit, and I think it was filed in federal court, the original lawsuit filed by Ms. Young was thrown out of court. The one ongoing now is the second one. And that is why the tapes were leaked to CBS. All right? That's why the tapes were leaked. I'm not sure. Let me back up and say, yes, department policy was violated. But when you hear the city say, well, it wasn't illegal. They entered your apartment legally. By statute, by law, about what they've got to do to the courts, they probably did it in a way that is legal, but yet may be against CPD policy. Right? Those can be those things can happen at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. So that's why they're pushing to get it dismissed. The first one has already been dismissed. This is the second case. This is the second try at this. That is why this is in this case made it to CBS News and why that's been a, such a big push in the in the court of public opinion because they not may not be able to win in court. So what are they doing? They're doing what they can to push the city to settle, which is fine. Obviously, something happened there, and she deserves to be um, um, made whole as much as possible about what happened. So I'm not sure the city lawyers are actually necessarily technically wrong in this, in their argument. Now, what about the Lightfoot administration? What about the mayor herself talking about how we're going to settle this, we're going to get to the bottom of this, we're going to do this, we're going to take care of this? This is the same crapola that you would hear from Rom, the same crapola you'd hear from Daly. This is no different. In the public opinion, in the, in the media, we say one thing. In court, we do another. This is just how they operate. It's how the city operates. Now, part of what the city is also doing, ladies and gentlemen, is <laughs> making sure that as best they can, they're not held liable from other people for other wrong raids where they got the warrant as legally as they could, like, you know, but they, they hit the wrong place. If they pay Miss Young a million dollars, how many people do you think <laughs> are waiting in line here to get paid for wrong raids? It's not an uncommon thing in Chicago. So they're also thinking about that. All of this is tossed in. All of this is in the mix here. They're trying to prevent, they may pay out young, and I think they probably will in the end, but it's going to either have a secrecy agreement or to it, or the city's not going to claim that they did anything wrong. Not, they're not going to have to admit to doing anything wrong. And that is to protect future liability from other future, from bad raids that have already happened and bad raids that are about to happen. And there are going to be, ooh, there are going to be some that are definitely going to happen. There's no doubt it's, come, it's coming down the line. Now, once again, I harp about this all the time on the show. This is the difference between policy and legislation. The police department can violate police policy. It's a disciplinary. only thing that that does is whether or not the, those officers should be fired. It has nothing to do with anything like what the police did was illegal this is why you need legislation, the Anjanette Young Ordinance being one example thereof, so that when they do these things, they're actually breaking the law if they don't do them right. Don't worry about breaking CPD policy. Who cares about that? They never listen to that. 
there's almost no accountability in that. We're working on a project to prove how horrible that uh, liability has been over the last 40 years. I mean, the accountability is. They're not worried about that. You have to worry about breaking state law and city ordinance. That's why we need a city and state legislation. This is the perfect, perfect example of that reality. We need legislation. We can't count on policy. They'll break policy every chance they get. Now listen, someone should FOIA every, fo every um, maybe we'll do it, every single warrant application from that team, whatever team rated that house, they should go and get every one they've ever done. Because I guarantee you, if they did this one so poorly, where they never looked to make sure if the person was in jail or if he was locked up or where he actually was, the person they're trying to arrest in this raid, they didn't just, this isn't a first time. This is probably the 500th time. This is how business is done. That wasn't a mistake. That is how business is done. Right? So they're not going to, they're going to do everything they possibly can to avoid having to pay out all those other people they've done it to over the years and all the people they're about to do it in the years to come. That's why we need legislation like the Anjanette Young Ordinance. We need state legislation mimicking that to make it felonies to, of, to break the law. I'm convinced that's the only thing you're really, only way you're really going to constrain the police. Okay, we're going to go on to our second segment here. And for our people um, on our podcast listeners, I'll read the title for you. It's a Sun-Times article. Chicago police retirements this year already top all of 2018 could end up among the highest ever. Okay, that's good. Now, I doubt they know what the highest ever is or could document it. I'm sure the FOP is going to tell them a number, but I doubt they actually have that data. So, is this a surprise to anyone? Mm -mm. Every time you see accountability being put in or a push for accountability of the police, you see retirements go up. People want to deal with it. There's this imagination, this group think within the blue, um, within the police department, police officers in general, in that culture that the world's out to get them. And you don't understand, and there's always some nuance to wiggle their way out of any accountability. But remember, there's no wiggle room for people they arrest. Uh-uh-uh-uh. That's not how life works. Anyways, so of course, consider what happened in 20. The unrest, the calls for racial justice, the calls for police accountability, the calls for this um, community commission. And these retirements were coming because they didn't even like the response to Laquan McDonald's murder, which many of them don't even think it was a murder. So this has been brewing. Now, the question is, is this bad for the Chicago Police Department? In the long run, it is not. It is not. Consider that the police department, as broken as it is, has not mandated regular yearly updated training for its officers in person, not through some video they can watch at home or through some roll call, video they watch in roll call. But they have not mandated in-person refresher training since these guys left the academy. Mm -hmm. You can opt into things. You can get uh, crisis intervention training, CIT training. You can opt in to getting taser training. You can opt in to getting the rifle training. They're just now, after the Laquan McDonald case, 
and the Civil Rights Investigation of the Department of Justice and the consent decree. They're just now putting in mandatory refresher training. So the question would be, ladies and gentlemen, are we better off with older cops who have not, who have gone 15, 20, 25 years, well, they're all over 20 probably if they're retiring, retiring, leaving the department poorly trained. They haven't been trained really in anything in 20 years, most of them. Are we better off them leaving and bringing in a new crop that theoretically, hopefully, um, theoretically, possibly, are better trained? The answer is yes. Now, the reality is this mass of retirements is actually a good time to pivot those resources into building up alternative responses and taking huge numbers of the calls for service, the calls to 911 for police services away from the police department. It is. We don't need a person with a gun showing up to f maybe 50%, maybe even more of the calls that the police department sends a cop for. We don't. We don't need a person with a gun. At a bare minimum, some of those should be maybe co-responded, but the vast majority should not have a person with a gun. They shouldn't. It's just the bottom line. Now, will Lightfoot do it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They are just starting, starting testing, just testing some mental health alternative response, crisis response. Just starting the test. Why do they need the test when crisis response has been going on? Cahoots program. You can look it up in the archives here. Ebony and Tim from the Whitebird Clinic. Tim is head of consulting. Ebony's running the Cahoots crisis intervention on the street training right now. Not the training, running the program right now. That's been going on 30 years, 30 plus years in Eugene, Oregon. We don't need a test. We need implementation. But that is not, like, that is not in Lightfoot's agenda. She's too tied to policing despite the rhetoric from her as head of police board despite her rhetoric from the head when she was head of the office of professional standards her rhetoric from the police accountability task force mayor lightfoot is nothing like any of those people so this would be a perfect time to pivot those resources move them build up alternative responses police are expensive they're very expensive the alternative response could be cheaper and it could have much better long-lasting impact than policing is now you hate police no i don't i don't like bad i hate bad cops the reality is cops don't have the tools in their toolbox to deal with most of the problems that are thrown at their feet they'll complain about it but then they won't let you reallocate funds to build the, the right response that's the hypocrisy going on with police unions and we'll get to that in a little bit so this would be the perfect time to do it lightfoot is not going to do it it's not going to do it. There's this in Paul Vallis's rhetoric and Alderman Raymond Lopez's rhetoric and Alderman Bob Fioretti's rhetoric in the probably conservative to alt-conservative uh, pretending to be democratic liberal people in Chicago that more cops equals less crime and there's no science to do it. No science to prove it. Um... And I'm going to show you that I build it up. 
I did not. So um, if you go, if you're on the podcast, you'll get a link to a report um, on our website, Top 5 Cities. Um, well, that's what the image will be called, but it's basically a report on our website. You go into uh, into research, you can find it. It's basically, we did this years ago about uh, cops per capita and homicides in the cities. And Chicago had the most cops per capita and also the most homicides. So you can see how it just doesn't, um, it just doesn't work. Despite the rhetoric you hear from people, it just doesn't work. Okay. We're going to move on to our third segment today. And this is um, an article, again, from the Sun-Times. 11th hour compromise reached on civilian police review over Lightfoot's objections. Mayora Ally refused to consider it. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, Mayor Lightfoot has killed and prevented the Public Safety Committee from voting on the Community Commission Ordinance that she promised as a candidate she would pass in her first 100 days in office. Ladies and gentlemen, we are over 730 days into her administration. Yes, we had COVID. So let's knock out 400. Let's knock out 450. We are still 300 days, even if you give her that time. 300 days. She wants the most watered down, the least meaningful, the least useful possible version of that ordinance. It was originally GAPA and CPAC were competing ordinances. Lightfoot walked away from the bargaining table. GAPA and CPAC came together, created the compromised version. Lightfoot delayed a vote on it through Chairman Talafario, who's a lapdog for the mayor. He's also a cop, so he wants no more accountability on the police department. Don't you worry. And all the promises, him being progressive and open, and he can run his own hearings and pass anything he wants. Lie, 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 lie. All of that was lies. It was all BS. So when she walked away from the table, a compromised version came up. He, he delayed a, now several months waiting for the mayor to write what I would bet she wrote herself and all a version of that ordinance. It came out and it's as weak as possible. I'm telling you, Mayor Daly and Ron Emanuel would have had tougher versions. That's how weak the mayor's version is. It's a joke. Um, it's just a joke. And there's, there's almost no accountability in it. The mayor doesn't want accountability. She wants to campaign on being an accountability person, but she doesn't want to implement any. So let's go to some quotes from. Um, so let me back up and say right before this vote that was supposed to be last Friday overnight, the compromise, the compromise ordinance was tweaked again to separate out the ordinance that was going to part of a mandatory um citywide referendum on whether or not this commission would have total control over the police department and still they did not like it the mayor was not going to lost the mayor's version was not going to pass if they allowed a vote on friday the only thing that was going to pass was the compromised version the community group version that's it the mayor was going to lose and of course her lapdog alderman chairman chris talafario an ex-police officer killed it let's look at a couple of his quotes the mayor was not part of these conversations. She had her opportunity to work with the coalition on meaning, meaningful civilian oversight. The ordinance, oh, this is from Car uh, Alderman Ramirez Rosa. The ordinance that was introduced was not a serious proposal for civilian, civilian oversight, her version. And it was not. 
He is right. Her staff reached out to us earlier this week and put nothing on the table. All they said was, will you postpone the vote? The vote's been postponed how many times? How many years? It's time to pass this ordinance. You're right. You're right. These groups started at least in early 2016 trying to push this ordinance, come together, work with their communities members, and put this together. It is now midway, just about through 2021, and we still don't have the ordinance. Of course, the mayor didn't offer nothing. She knew she was going to lose, so her office tried to say, can you delay the vote because we're going to lose? Why would you do that? How incredibly dumb are those phone calls? We're going to lose. Would you please delay the vote so we can try to find more time to possibly beat you? Are those the stupidest phone calls in the history of the world? I mean, the amateurness of of Lightfoot's actions and her staff's, it's just mind-boggling. Here's a couple more quotes. Lightfoot's campaign on the promise... Lightfoot campaigned on a promise to empower a civilian oversight panel to hire and fire the police superintendent and have the final word in disputes over police policy. Civilian oversight was a pivotal recommendation by the task force on police accountability, which she co-chaired and in the fur and the fur fervor that followed the court ordered release of the Laquan McDonald shooting video. Last line after the election, Lightfoot changed her tune just as as she has on her support for an elected school board uh, the school elected school board bill approved by the Illinois House this week over her strenuous objections. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Flip Flop is just got caught flip flopping again. The amateurness and the rank dumbness of the politics here. It's mind boggling. Mind boggling. I'm for a civilian oversight. I'm going to pass in the first 100 days. Oof, no, I'm not against all of it. Wait a minute. I'm for an elected school board. I'm only for like four of like 15 or 25 or something being elected. So I'm, I'm, I'm for a small enough crew that will make no difference on what gets passed on the school board. All the rest will be my appointees. It's unbelievable. These are six years they've been working on this community commission. Here we are. Nothing happens. Six years. Campaign promise to pass it? Meaningless. She doesn't care. She's got two years of her administration, four years before that when she was fighting for it, then she gets in and she's against it. Wow, is that the Chicago two-step or what? <sighs> so we'll see what happens. Originally, the Friday's meeting, got the vote got postponed till Monday, and then Talafario over the weekend changed that again because obviously they did a head count and realized they weren't going to win that vote either. Here we are, maybe next month. I'm not going to hold my breath. I would think 2029 at the rate we're going. It may never happen. It'll be easy. It'll be interesting to see her run with either, with no community commission at all being passed. Because I don't see the Progressive Caucus, uh, Ramirez Rosa, Michael Rodriguez, and others voting for her version. I just don't see it happening. Okay, we're going to move on to our... Second segment. And for our um, podcast audience, Inglewood Home, where mass shooting killed four, owned by Chicago police officer, sued over security in the house. This was an Inglewood mass shooting that left eight shot, four dead. This is at this time, I think this was Friday, 
we clip this that's actually now it's at least five have died and i think two or three are still in critical condition there was a shooting in 2019 at this house that's when at some point thereafter the C, i think in early 2020 the city sued the homeowner to force more security precautions at the house be put in place they could not find the homeowner to serve him that's right ladies and gentlemen they could not find him who was the homeowner's name was Enrico Badil senior turns out he worked for the CPD since 1997 that's right ladies and gentlemen the city law department couldn't find this guy and he worked in the Shakespeare District 14 district on California I've been in that police department I've been in that station that's right ladies and gentlemen they couldn't find one of their own employees working for a year how about you talk about how broken is the city okay we are gonna go um, we're gonna go to a video clip about a minute 30 um, from ABC, we're going to go minute 30 video from ABC, and then we'll be back to talk about the clip. Cheryl and Rob, earlier this week, Superintendent Brown said police had been called to that home several times in the past. In fact, the city had filed a lawsuit against the owner, and now we've learned that owner is a cop. The veteran officer is assigned to the Northwest Side Shakespeare District. Chicago police confirm Officer Enrique Badillo Sr., who's worked for CPD since 1997, has been stripped of his police powers pending an investigation, but declined to say what the investigation involves. Records show the 50-year-old Badillo owns the house on South Morgan Street in Englewood, where eight people were shot Tuesday morning, four of them killed. The house described by neighbors as a social spot where people would come and go. ABC 7 was first to report the city sued Badillo more than a year ago, alleging he encouraged or permitted criminal activity at the house. The complaint was filed following a shooting at the home in November 2019, a year and a half before Tuesday's massacre. The city says that 2019 shooting occurred during a party of at least 50 individuals with alcohol and dice and money observed on the ground. Officials say the lawsuit stalled after Badillo couldn't be reached, despite the fact that he's a longtime city employee. Tonight, there was no answer at another property the city says Badillo owns, about a mile from the district police station where he's assigned. Badillo did not return our phone messages. For now, he'll continue to be paid his salary of more than $90,000 a year. Okay. Yep. He was a cop the whole time. They didn't run. They sue him. They didn't run to see where he worked, pull a W-2 something, subpoena something. What were they hoping for? They had to pull other properties. They couldn't find him in any of the other properties he owned. What is going on? How broken is the city? How easy is it to avoid being served by the city of Chicago when you've been sued? How? It's mind-boggling you couldn't find this guy. Right, he's one of their employees. Pump the name into your employee database. You might be able to find him. Unbelievable. Now, let's get to the other heart of the point here. He's a Chicago cop. He owns the house. There's a shooting at it. The city wants 
changes to the house to make it more secure. Now, I don't know what authority they had to do that. Maybe it's because there's already a shooting, so they have some ability after there's been violence to force in some changes. I don't know, but it certainly seems like they were intent on doing that. You're a cop. You don't do the changes. You don't put the changes in. What is that? It's really pretty mind-boggling. It's horrific. Um, it's just horrific that anyone had to die. Um, five people, I believe, have already died if the number's not higher. I think most of the people were shot in the head execution style. Um, I don't know if they, to date, have any leads on who did it. It's a, definitely a horrific, horrific event that we don't ever want to see repeated. Might be good for the guys with the badges and the guns to follow the law. That that might be a good way to do it. Okay, we are going to take a one-minute break about and give you some information about our nation program, which we talked at the top, cjpnation.org, and you can get involved. We'll see you back in one minute. Join a group of engaged and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today. CJP Nation. Okay, we are back. This article that we're going to talk about now from the New York Times on crime trends is fascinating. Fascinating. And I think if you gave this to most politicians in Chicago and most journalists, including the crime reporters, they may get some of this wrong. It's really, really fascinating. So here's the article, the title of the article. It's why people misperceive crime trends. Chicago is not the murder capital. This is written by the in the New York Times. Fascinating. And if you're listening through a podcast, all the links shown, all the images shown, all the links, all the videos are all up on our site when this podcast gets, the podcast version of this gets posted. So you can go to our site and find all of that information. So we are going to show a chart. Our first one is Chicago is not number one. Most readers thought Chicago ranked first in murders rate nationally in 2020. The correct answer, seventh, was selected by only 8% of our readers. That's right. Most people, 53% thought first, 31% thought third, 9% thought fifth, and 8% thought seventh. That's right. 8% got it right. All right, so that's one. And it was based on... 59, just about 59,000 responses from online readers. Just a smaller number of responses. Our second chart, a violent year, 1990. Fewer than half our readers correctly answered that the murder rate in 2020 was lower than in 1990, during an era when murder was peaking in the United States. That's right. Last year, was the U.S. murder rate higher or lower than it was in 1990, or was it about the same? 32% about the same. 
28% higher. 40% lower. That's right, 40% thought it was lower or about the same. And this is on 60, just, no, about, just over 65,000 responses. That's right, murder rate was higher in 1990. Context, ladies and gentlemen, this is what you're not getting from your crime reporters. When they talk about violence and crime, you're not getting it. Last one, the U.S. murder rate, 1960 to 2020. Murders per 100,000 people include an estimated 2020 increase of 25%. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, you see that little peak there in 2020. No doubt it went up. No denying it. It certainly did. Amid a pandemic, it went up all over the country, but still far, far, far lower than what we experienced in 1990. And 1980, by the way, and 19, early 1970s. In fact, to get as low as we did, you have to go back to around 2000 and then, right, slightly bigger, and then you're going to 1965 to get as low as we are right now. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not happy with the right now. Do I want it changed? Of course I want it to get better. But you cannot be reactionary with these things. When you're reactionary, you end up locking up hundreds, if not thousands, or tens of thousands of people for unbelievably long sentences, thinking it's helping when it almost has no impact on it. But that's what you get from the rhetoric of these people. Here's a quote that I have to read about that Pew chart, the last one we showed. A Pew Research, a Pew Research report in 2016 found that voters are usually more likely to say crime is up than down, regardless of what official t statistics show. For decades, Gallup has asked people whether they think there is more or less crime in the U.S. compared with the year before. The question has been asked almost yearly since 1996, 24 years 25 years now, and every year, except for 2001, the public, usually by overwhelming margins, has said crime is increasing. Mm -hmm. Why? Because of media. The media reporting on crime and violence. That's why. It's lacking context. I remember when I was teaching at a rural school out in Joliet, Illinois, at a... Um, University of St. Francis, and I asked the people on the election day of Hillary Trump, or maybe the day after the election, I asked if someone wanted to talk about why they voted for Trump, because I figured some people did. One girl raised her hand and asked, and I said, can I ask you why? And she's like, sure, because I want to return to law and order. Okay. I said, can I ask a follow-up? She's like, sure. I asked her, can you tell me a safer time in America for women than right now? The silence you're getting from there is the silence I got in class. She couldn't name one. But she was sure that we needed to return to law and order. She just had no idea how much violence there was now and how much violence there had been or crime. She just fell prey to the rhetoric. And that's what happens, ladies and gentlemen. Corrupt, ugly, horrific politicians, media people, uh, police officials, will use crime and violence to manipulate you and manipulate the vote and their support for political reasons to their political ends all the time. There is no research that shows up locking more people up helps. There is no research that shows that having more cops make, prevents more violence. It doesn't. 
There's a great phrase I had from a police officer friend of mine, a scholar. He's gone all over the world consulting for the National Institute of Justice. And it's a great phrase. He says, it's not about how many officers you got. It's about what you do with them. Damn straight. You can't be a police supporter or the police and have any credibility when you say, well, we're having them try to solve too many problems. Okay, let's build up systems so they don't have to solve those problems. Oh, no, no, no. You can't take money away. Can't do that. You're a fraud. And then when you get to our police unions, we're going to get into a little bit. They're all frauds. They're frauds. It's about power and resources. Control over power and control over resources. So um, political hacks will always exploit stuff for political gain. And crime and violence has been exploited in, in, Chicago, in Chicago and around the country for as long as there's been in Chicago and as long as there's been in America. They will always endlessly exploit it because it's easy. It's easy. It's easy. The media helps them every day with their horrific reporting. Okay. Next segment. I think this is from Black Club. Oh, it's from Chalkbeat. My, my apologies. In Chicago, the debate over school police isn't over. It's just quieter. That's right. It's still going on, even though it's kind of disappeared from the headlines. Let's get into a couple quotes. Last summer, amid rolling protests over racial justice and policing, Chicago public schools punted the decision about whether to keep police in the buildings to individually elected councils that govern most district-run schools. That means groups made up of parents, students, school leaders, and community members were forced to quickly make a big decision on the controversial issue. Most opted to keep official, uh, officers on campus, to keep officers on campus. Now, wait a minute. Remember, we just talked a few segments ago, ladies and gentlemen, about how the mayor is against the community commission, elected community commission, with real power and control over the police department. In this section, in this issue, she did the reverse because she's a hypocrite. She pushed to the local school boards. Oh, no, let them figure it out. Let them make their own decisions. Wait a minute. The community can make their own decisions for stuff you don't want to have political liability for. But when it comes to accountability over the police department, oh no, that has to reside with me. How do you get any more hypocritical than that? It's hypocrisy at its best. I mean, it's so Chicago, it's ridiculous. I'm an outsider, I'm a progressive, I'm different, I'm going to do good things, and we're going to do this and that. Zero. Zero, ladies and gentlemen, zero. Let's move on. This year is different. As LSC deliberations were, will be supported by a recommendation of a district commission steering committee consisting of five education advocacy organizations, ARCA at St. Sabina, Build, Inc., Community Organizing for Family Issues, Mikva Challenge, and Voices of Youth in Chicago, or VOICE. I continue, or I should say they continue. The committee's report doesn't recommend keeping SROs, school resource officers, or the cops in schools, or scrapping them, even though... Some of the groups involved have also campaigned to have SROs removed from schools. Instead, the purpose of the report is to help LSC, local school council members, think through their approach to school safety shaped by concepts such as trauma-informed practice and crisis response. From there, the LSCs consider whether and how SROs, as well as alternatives such as holistic or restorative justice techniques, might fit in. That sounds pretty good, right? That sounds pretty good. It continues, while there are 
more resources available, the conversation is still weighty, participants say, and also still contentious and tests the limit, limits of volunteer LSCs who members are more accustomed to advising principals on issues such as school's annual academic plan. That's right. The mayors forced this decision on people who don't have the resources to do it. Why? Because she doesn't want the political liability over it. She thought she was going to lose the decision in mass, so she broke it up into all the local LSCs so that she figured she would win most of those. So we have people. She punted a major decision that should have been her responsibility to make to all these LSCs so she wasn't politically liable. She just wanted political cover. And in the process, you're going to have a haphazard school-by-school-by-school by school by school difference in how these things get dealt with by LSCs that are ill-equipped and not subject matter experts on the issue. So they're going to have to deal with it. All to cover the mayor's butt. It's just, it's just sad. It's not something you would expect from the head of the police accountability task force, but you know, okay, we're going to go on to our next segment. This is New York city, but it, it mimics Lightfoot. So much. It's ridiculous. City Hall put the kibosh on that. The inside story, this is a story by ProPublica. The inside story of how de Blasio, Mayor de Blasio in New York, promised, then thwarted NYPD or the New York Police Department accountability. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I said it on this show before. Democrats, Democrats in office, most of them are cowards. Cowards. Describing, and this is, I'm going to quote from the article, describing the city agency tasked with investigating police misconduct as more of a lapdog than a watchdog. He proposed in 2009 to give it more independence, authority, and guaranteed funding. A few months later, he again pledged changing, saying in a statement, the NYPD cannot oversee itself. The article continues. Then in 2013, he was elected mayor. And rather than create more independence for the Civilian Complaint Review Board, CCRB in New York, it's the acronym is, he ended up asserting ever more control over the agency, intent on avoiding conflict with the police department. According to internal communications obtained by ProPublica and interviews with more than two dozen current and former officials. One more. The mayor's office edited, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, the mayor's office edited reports and testimony to soften criticism of the NYPD and roll back proposals for more effective oversight. It maneuvered to block some of the same policies de Blasio had advocated for years before. Even when the civilian offices were faced with obstruction by the NYPD, the mayor's office ignored their pleas for support. Of course they did. He's a Democrat and he's a coward. This is why the defund the movement, the defund movement exists for this. You have to sh shrink the footprint of these police agencies. You have to shrink their accountability, period. That's it. That's what you have to do. Nothing else will do because you're always going to have these hack politicians that come in and campaign on the change and then never do the change. The article continues. Every testimony, every report, every hearing was completely controlled by, by what City Hall wanted or didn't want said Nicole Napolitano, who was senior policy analyst for the agency. The goal was to give a veneer of accountability. 
Does that does that not sound like the civilian commission Lightfoot's trying to put in place? The veneer of accountability. The LA mayor is hiring more cops. He defunded them during 2020. Now he's hiring them back again. It's the veneer. It's all about veneer. It's all about giving the shade, giving the look of accountability. It's just, I mean, you can almost predict this. One last quote. A statement provided by City Hall spokesman Avery Cohen noted that on a recent administration proposal, no, noted that a recent administrative proposal would consolidate police oversight agencies under the CCRB and said edits of reports and testimony were just part of the governing process. They admit to editing the reports and the testimony. They don't even care. They're not even trying to hide it. It's all out there. What kind of accountability is that? What kind of accountability is that? This is the mayor. Oh, I don't remember his name. The L.A. mayor. This is Mayor Lightfoot. It's the same thing. The movement's going to have to take these people out of office. It ain't, they're not going to be convinced to do it. They're not. Nothing, no meaningful change is going to come to these departments or policing under these people in office. It won't. It won't. And it's a problem. But remember, like the drug war and all these things, they continue and they perpetuate because these cowards are more worried about keeping their job than doing their job. Mayor, you look at Lightfoot. Look at all the things in that police accountability task force and look what they proposed and look of her rhetoric and then look what she's done in the office for the first two years. Nothing. Sad. Okay, we're going to go on to our last segment here. This is about New Jersey, but it is applicable to Chicago. A ProPublica article again. How criminal cops often avoid jail. Remember, unions never want accountability. So, I'm going to quote from the article. Lavin, who is the head of the police union, testified before state senators at a July hearing when questioned whether civilians are qualified to serve. He questioned whether civilians are qualified to serve on police oversight boards and suggested that chokeholds might sometimes be warranted. Remember the chokehold that killed Aaron Garner? He also argued against releasing the names of officers who've been disciplined. Why? It puts a public shaming on their family, said Lavin, executive director of the New Jersey Fraternal Order of Police Labor Council. I don't see the value in that. I don't think there is one. Now, let's see, ladies and gentlemen, why do you think he does not want the cops named? It would be the same reason why John Cotanzaro of the uh, Fraternal Order of Police in Chicago Police Department doesn't want police accountability. I wonder why. What do you think? If you're a viewer of this show or listen to the podcast, you know why. Cotanzaro's got 50 complaints. I wonder if Lavin's, Lavin's been in trouble before. Let's take a look. I'll go back to the article. Lavin is one of dozens of New Jersey officers who have been criminally charged with official misconduct, but avoided jail time called for under the law An investigation by Asbury Park Press and ProPublica has found. The article continues. Uh-oh. Lavin was indicted in 2014 when he worked with Mercer County Sheriff's Office. The indictment accused him for using pepper spray in a handcuffed woman, filing a false police report about an encounter and encouraging other officers to fake their reports, too. The charges included three counts of second-degree official misconduct, which reserved for public employees who are accused of criminal misusing their position. A conviction on each charge 
should come with mandatory jail time, up to five years with no parole. In this case, according to state law. It continues. Let's see, do you think he went to jail? <laughs> but Lavin received no jail time, no probation, no criminal record. In exchange for his resignation from the force in October 2015, he entered a pretrial intervention program ordinarily reserved for low criminal offenders, low-level criminal offenders. It wiped the charges from his record. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Lavin is now free to go get a job at any other police department he wants. If that was you and I, we'd be in prison. Not the police. Not the police. From 2013 through 2017, according to the article, official misconduct, they charged officers with official misconduct 118, 118 times. It's a pretty good amount. Less than a third had jail time. Compared to just general public employees, cops go to jail much less. Here's the kicker of this story, and this is when you get to the, just the horribleness of, polit of politics. An anonymous, uh, uh, wow, that was a horrible version of that. An anonymous amendment for a man, for, to a bill, just a general bill, amended and stopped, prevented, got rid of the mandatory prison for official misconduct. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Some horrible politician in New Jersey is trying to get out of the, trying to change the law so you cannot use, the, you cannot, it's not mandatory to send people convicted of official misconduct to prison. That's right. That's what you get. I mean, just like Chicago. It's just like Chicago. That's why you need hard, strict laws. So you, when the cops break them, you can actually send them to prison. It's not something that's usually done. You can hear here in New Jersey, this is the same thing, right? Kanzara, the FOP president, he's up now in front of the police board right now as we speak. The third or fourth time they tried to fire his guy. He's been on 23 years, if I got that number right. We're going to be publishing something on his history in the next couple of weeks. But he has something like 50 individual complaints. Some of those complaints have multiple counts. They can't get rid of him. And yet he's head of the police union. They voted that guy in. Remember, Lavin probably got voted in, too. It's just ridiculous. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us today. Remember, we're here Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 5.30 p.m. Central Time. If you have any suggestions, comments for the show, hit us up at infochicagojustice.org or on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter. We're there. You can put them there. Um, we'd love to hear suggestions for who you want on the show. We have some interviews coming up. That'll be part of the show over the next couple of weeks. All right, thank you so much. We'll see you Wednesday. Bye.